This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Imagine a place of your own in your name. A place where all your stuff is. Where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia housing and see how home helps everyone. This week on Jack Mates Happy Hour podcast, we have Peter Lexley. Former Met Police officer and undercover cop, Pete has quite literally seen it all. From drug busts, to hostage situations, to assassination attempts and murder investigations. This is one episode you don't want to miss. Quite often they would say, well you could be an undercover old Bill. Yeah. Okay? Because they're paranoid, of course. They're involved in illegality, which they know is going to carry a very hefty sentence Mm -hmm. if and when they get caught and convicted. And they don't want to go to jail. We're lying on the floor of the bus with our guns, thinking when the contraband, when the heroin arrives in the car park, it'll be... We'll all come running down the stairs, pull our guns and nick people. The FBI have picked up that this plot to kill me is very, very real. The powers that be at New Scotland Yard have decided that I would have to abandon my life, abandon my home, abandon my identity, and move very hurriedly into the witness protection program. Wow. It was just a miserable, dark, horrible period of my life, and I turned into an absolute monster. Oh, you really didn't want to have the misfortune to be around me. Can you see the fading scar there, gentlemen? Yeah, yeah. That's where I was stabbed in the neck by a drug dealer once. I've got his wrist, and he is still holding the knife, and the knife is covered in blood, and I'm going... Oh, That's shit. my blood. Shit. Can somebody come and grab hold of this bloke? Because I've just been stabbed in the neck. I was very frightened. I didn't want to breathe in too deeply in case I was going to ingest a lot of blood. And I'm a bit chilled with it until all of a sudden, junk, junk, the bolts on the front door go. Right? Junk, junk, the bolts on the back door go. Right? And he says, you are not leaving here until the money comes in. End of story. So after I've shot your husband through the head and he is brown bread on the floor, okay, and the police come calling for you because they immediately suspect a spouse, a partner, a wife, a husband, okay, what are you going to do? You know, can I trust you to keep your trap shut? Rather foolishly, after I was retired from the police and I was a bit of a rudderless ship for a little while, I indulged in drugs by way of trying to recreate that buzz and having some degree of excitement in my life the industry is coming to you if it hasn't already arrived courtesy of county lines Mm -hmm. it's in every town village hamlet and city across the nation the demand is not going away people want to take drugs 
Hello guys and welcome back to Jack Mate's Happy Hour, the happiest hour in all the lands. It's not, it's ironic. People still don't get that, by the way. Like, I see it in all the comments. Yeah, yeah. It's not very happy, is it? Yeah. Even I, though the original logo, just like to highlight, had an unhappy face in it. Yeah. So we're, like, we're trying to give you, you know... That's the irony. Can. We can be happy. Well, I'm sure we will be happy. We've got a great guest on, a guest that I'm very happy to announce. However, the uh, the topics that we get onto later... Not going to be happy. There's there's a bit of murder in there. Yeah. So um, just just bear in mind that the happy hour is ironic. It's Peter Blexley. How are you doing, my friend? Very well, thank you. Uh, There's there's many ways that I could introduce you. You've done an array of things in your in your life and your career, but I think it's best just to let let you do it. Who are you? What do you do, mate? Okay. Well, I'll kind of start at the beginning, if I may. Yeah. Uh, I was an errant youth. Right. Largely the product of a one-parent family because my dad disappeared when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Right. And to be perfectly frank with you, it was good riddance at the time. Yeah. Um, Home life had been particularly unhappy, so my struggling mum was working to put food on the table and clothes on our backs. Yeah. Is this in London? Yeah, well, Bexley Heath. All right, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a London borough, but has a Kent postcode. Right. One of those those schizophrenic types. And... um, and so life was challenging, and without a father figure or any other ro- male role model really to uh, look up to, to follow, to learn from, I just went off the rails. Right. Um, what from that? From that age? From ten? Like n- teenager? Really. Right. By the, by the time I'd got to secondary school, um, my school merged with another school, and in essence, I then became more interested in not getting a clump off the kids from the other school yeah. rather than studying. A matter of deep regret, I hasten to add. Right. Because I think education is so important, so vital, and I'm very pleased to say that all my three sons have got the whole education thing yeah. and have made the most of it or are making the most of it. Do you think um, that's because, like, wh- where you said that you perhaps went wrong as a kid, that you you know the other side of the coin, so you've brought them up a bit a bit different? Absolutely, yeah. And and they figured it out themselves. Yeah, They're yeah, quite, yeah. You know, switched on uh, young men, and they've all realised by looking at their mum, looking at me, um, and I'm not saying life has been an eternal struggle, but there have been moments. There really have been moments, and I think they've realised that if you get if you get a, an education and you really get your head down and you learn and you get yourself qualified and exams and all of that, it can make an easier pathway for life. For sure. Yeah, speaking. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, how, so how did you go from... So if, if people don't know, you, you obviously worked at the Met Police. You was, yeah. a, you was an undercover police officer. Um, very much one of life's good guys. How did you, how did you go from that, that rough start to end up working in the police force? 16 years old, came home one night to the flat that I shared with my mum. My sister had already left and gone off to nursing. Came home into the flat, you know, let myself in, usual kind of thing, to my absolute horror. Sitting on the sofa in the lounge was one enormous police officer in full uniform. Right. And, of course, I immediately thought, oh, shit, what am I going to get nicked for? (laughs) But it actually turned out that my wonderful mum, with all her foresight, realised that I wasn't following the proper path and she'd got the local Bobby, bless him, to come (laughs) round, sit me down, put me straight and sell the idea to me of joining the police. Wow. And he bought the application form. (laughs) Wow. Set you on your way. Yeah. And by the time he left my house, I'd filled in that form and I thought, I'm going to have a go at this. Fucking hell. 
Yeah. Gee, in that mo- in that moment, it all changed. Yeah. What did you want to What did you want to do before that moment? Did you have any? I was a bit of a, a, a rudderless ship. I mean, I eventually got a job working in Woolworths. Dear old Woolworths. Shows how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we remember I Woolworths, remember mate. Woolworths. Yeah. Yeah. Great selection <laughs> of pick and mix there. Yeah. Magnificent. Yeah. Well, I was in a warehouse. I was a warehouse. Oh, so you didn't and, even um, get to take any of the uh, the penny sweets? Oh, that's a very good trick question, right? I am, not, <laughs> I, am, I am not telling you what may or may not have disappeared out the warehouse. Right? Okay, absolutely not. How far are we into this pod? Am I getting trick questions already? Well, this is true life confession time. It's funny though because as I was saying it, I was like, "Oh shit!" He used to be a police officer, and I'm now admitting to nicking a few pennies. For it. But it's, it's weird because my dad, obviously, a bit of a, a bit of, not not really, but kind of on the, the the along the same lines as yourself he he started off um in life quite quite badly uh, got in trouble with the police a bit and i think because of his wrongdoings he's brought me up to be the complete opposite and um i remember once i stole a humbug or something from asda and i came out and i ate it i was only a little kid and he he saw me eating a sweet and he was like where'd you get that from he went mental at me yeah grounded me for a week and it was like those moments that instill like the good behavior that you yeah. go on to i nick cars and stuff now so, <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember the first day so you, you've apl- you've applied to to be a police officer um I don't know much about the police. What what was what was the role you went for? Do you remember the first day you you got it? Like how how did it come to be? Well, I went into to the cadets at seventeen. You see, because I'd filled out those forms as a sixteen year old, and then they had the cadet corps, yeah. which you could join. And of course, it was entirely different from school. And suddenly, I found the discipline that I think I'd always craved. Mm. Because now the physical training instructors were largely ex Royal Marines. Okay, mm. so when they said Blexley down for 10 press-ups, yeah. I was not going to go, or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because the or what would have been unthinkable. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to find out. No, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I got fear and yeah. I reveled in the discipline. There was a whole raft of sport you could play, mm. study thrown in, thoroughly enjoyed all of that and suddenly bought into that discipline kind of life. Mm. 18 months later... You then go as as a, as a PC to the other end of the training estate, and I emerged after 16 weeks of training at the police college as a police constable, and I got posted to Peckham in South East London. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I bet your mum was proud, right? Yeah, she was. She was indeed. I think she was relieved more than anything else Yeah, that all of a sudden I've got a job with a regular income. She thought back then it was probably a job for life or certainly for 30 years. Yeah. And uh, I'd I'd chosen that path. What what was the what was the worst thing about about going into the police force? Well, the worst thing about the police force in Peckham and elsewhere in 1978 that it was largely a racist organisation mm. populated by a lot of violent, brutal thugs in uniform. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. Would you? You you mentioned that obviously you got off on the wrong foot in life and you was a bit of a naughty kid. When you went into the police force, obviously you still had those kind of like underlying traits about you. Did you go straight as soon as you was in, or did you have these elements of like? Because you just said that there's it was populated by a few few thugs. How would you say you was at the start? Like, did it take you a while to change your mindset completely? Or well, well, at one point, because there was no such things as whistleblowing in those days, and if you'd stood out from the crowd, your career would simply have been over. Mm. I regrettably and rather shamefully joined in with the thuggery to a Mm. certain extent. Right. 
Um, and Peckham had a large Afro-Caribbean population. The Windrush generation had come over in the late 50s and the 60s. Now they'd had their kids. These young black men were growing up in south-east London where policing wasn't done by consent, but it was imposed upon people. Yeah. And they really didn't have a choice. And if you had the misfortune to be a young black lad whose face didn't fit on the streets of Peckham, Stockwell, Brixton in the late 70s, the chances are you'd get fitted up and beaten up. Wow. That's incredible because as obviously free free white guys, we, we, hear, we hear these stories and it doesn't really seem real to us do you know what i mean you you hear the you hear these stories of discrimination especially coming from the higher powers and it just doesn't ever there's s- no way we can understand it yeah you, you can't you can't relate you can't because we've never been like the victim of like a random stop and search and stuff like that do you think many much of that stuff still goes on now no i think the police force has by and large taken huge strides to moving away from being inherently racist mm. It's a large organisation and there's, what, 100,000 cops in the UK. Mm-hmm. So you will, of course, get those rotten apples. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think the systems, the procedures and that whole kind of culture now is a lot better at weeding mm. those kind of people out. Mm. Yeah. And it's not a place that they can comfortably call home. I am delighted to say. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I cannot praise those who have been tireless and responsible for that culture shift over the years. Mm. That's, I was thinking, that's what I was going to say. So you're saying from 1978, obviously you've been through the police force through those through those decades. Um, how long did it take till you start to really see the change from that kind of attitude and those kind of people? Was it more they had to retire and it, just, it had to be more natural time to take over or, or was it more rooted out? Well, forgive me for making it all about me again. But no, this is, your, this is your, your episode, episode mate. Your yeah. This yeah. is <laughs> highly relevant. Yeah. On a Friday afternoon in April of 1981, mm. I was patrolling with some colleagues in a, in a people carrier, you know, a van type mm. of thing. And uh, a shout went up in Brixton for urgent assistance. And we were nearby in Camberwell on the far edge mm. of our ground and Peckham and Brixton were neighbouring boroughs. So we tore over there. We were one of the first units on scene and essentially civil unrest was beginning to bubble up. Mm. Mm. Um, and that weekend in April of 1981, Brixton burnt. Really? It was the riots. The riots of which had never been seen in the UK for decades upon decades upon decades. In fact, never before because this was so largely the riot and the uprising of young black people who had quite frankly had just had enough. And it was a very salutary experience to spend that weekend with people wanting to kill me Mm. because of the uniform I wore and the symbol of oppression Mm. that I represented. Mm. And it left a deep and indelible mark on me. So much so that when I got home that Sunday, I said, that's it. That's me in uniform done. Oh, yeah. wow. I am, I am not going back into uniform. I do not want to be that symbol of oppression. I do not want to be part of the problem. Yeah. So is that, when you, is that when you decided to go into undercover policing? Stuff well, like that? essentially the CID, yeah. They'd, yeah. They'd, they'd been making moves towards me because I was a very good thief taker, if I might say so myself. Right. I just walked out the nick and I found thieves, whether they car thieves, robbers, burglars, all that kind of stuff. I had a penchant for doing that. Yeah. And they'd been trying to persuade me to go down the CID route mm. after that weekend at Brixton. That's exact. I went on, knocked on the detective inspector's door and said, I'm done with uniform. Can I come on board? Yeah. 
And so I did my sort of apprenticeship in plain clothes, then had a selection board, then got accepted into the CID, and, and so began my detective career. And is that is that would you say that's the bulk of your police work? Was the was the oh over, o- overwhelmingly? I mean, I then went got posted to Kensington in West London, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of wealthy and uh, rather posh people. It was distinctly different from Peckham, mm. um, but of course, many of those wealthy, privileged so uh, entitled type of people <laughs> yeah. loved shoveling white powder up their bugles and uh, uh-huh. various other kind of things. Yeah. yeah, And so I got exposed to a lot of different types of crime, mm. um, which broadened my experience and my expertise. And after three years at Kensington, I felt, right, okay, I'm 25. I've done a tour as a detective. I now want to be a Scotland Yard detective. Yeah. That was the next thing that I wanted to achieve. And I was fortunate enough... Um, in 1985, to walk through those revolving doors at New Scotland Yard uh, to go on to the Central Drug Squad. And so kind of began that whole phase of my career working undercover. And Weren't you one of the maybe. founding members of the um, of the un- undercover unit at the Scotland Yard? Well, yes, I was. That came uh, a couple of years later because what happened back in those days, undercover policing was a very unscientific thing. Yeah, There was yeah. no structured... Uh, recruitment or training, <laughs> anything like that. It was essentially, if you stuck your hand up in the air and fancied having a go, you <laughs> would go and have a go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what amazing. makes someone want to do that? Because obviously it's way more terrifying. Well, I, I, I don't know if you'll agree, but as a kid, being an undercover police that's, that's officer cool. is one of the coolest yeah. j- sounding job titles cool, ever. Yes. But, yeah. but yeah, no, it is cool. Yeah. But you're then there amongst it all constantly. And the yeah, second cool. you're found. And, that, and that's, what's in, that's, what, that's what's cool. That's what's enticing. You, Maybe get, to, you get to walk out of... Peter will probably tell me, tell me the polar opposite in a minute and say it's not <laughs> at all. But I imagine it... You walk out the door, you get to be whoever you want. Like, and it's, it's basically like being an actor, isn't it? With the fear of death. That, that's we've, where I we've all got back. that fear no matter what no matter well, what we let's hear from the actual ex undercover <laughs> the yeah. constant fear of death but we'll get on to that because that was my oh, life. that's one for the that trailer was my <laughs> life in, in, the, in the witness protection program so right so there I am I'm at I'm at the yard and uh, an undercover operation is coming to fruition I've only been there a couple of weeks mm. um, but I'm an authorised firearms officer so uh, they wanted us to take guns on this operation. I was going to be part of the attack team, so I wasn't going undercover, but, of course, I was in plain clothes. And us with our firearms, we were upstairs on a double-decker bus, laying on the floor so people couldn't see us, parked in a car park opposite Regent's Park Zoo in central London. And what was happening was that undercover cops were going to drive into the car park with £70,000 of the commissioner's money in the boot of their car, and they were going to buy a few kilos of heroin. Now, what had happened in the run-up during these negotiations was that one of the undercover cops was a woman. And the villains, not unsurprisingly perhaps, had said, well, we need you to prove that you're not wearing a wire. Mm. You're a woman. Right. Take your top and your bras off and your clothes off. And she declined. So these villains then thought, well, actually, this lot are going to be a bit of a soft touch. Right. So we're not going to sell them the drugs. We're going to rob them for the money. <sighs> but this was all unknown to the yeah, undercover yeah, yeah, cops. Yeah. They turn up thinking there's going to be a trade. Yeah, We're instead. lying on the floor of the bus with our guns, thinking when the contraband, when the heroin arrives in the car park, it'll be... Yeah. We'll all come running down the stairs, pull our guns and nick people. Yeah. That's what we thought. Yeah. 
Well, we all know about the best laid plans. Don't we? <laughs> yeah. So oh, the dear. bad guy's car drives into the car park. Yeah. Okay. The bad guys get out. They approach the undercover cop's car. The windows wound down. Window winders. That's how long <laughs> yeah. it was. Like, yeah. Anybody know what they are? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it could be the coolest story ever, but then as soon as you imagine some guy going... <laughs> Brilliant. So the windows are wound down, and unfortunately, my colleague then got sprayed in the face with ammonia. They, they snatched the car keys. What is that? Sorry, is that just mace? Uh, no, it's actually a very caustic kind of liquid, which you don't really want to go anywhere near. Right. It's been back in the day. It was used for some <clears throat> particular kind of cleaning purposes or something. Okay. But it's as toxic as you like, and mm. you know you really don't need it in your life. Um, so they grabbed the keys because, of course, the driver is utterly disabled because he's blinded. Mm -hmm. They grabbed the keys, go around to the boot of the car, open the boot, and off they jolly well with the hold all containing the commissioner's £70,000, right? Oh, dear. There's a big scream up, as you can imagine. Mm. We trundle off the double-decker bus, and there is chaos. We've got colleagues screaming and, you know, holding their faces and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I catch a glimpse of what I think is a bad guy legging it off through some trees on the far side of the car park. Well, bearing in mind I was less left than half my age mm. and probably less than half my current weight. Right? <laughs> I, I was a bit nimble in those days, right. believe it or not. And I've gone off after this geezer like a long dog. And I've made ground on him, made ground on him. And as I've got within about 10 yards of him, he can hear me coming behind. So he has kind of stopped, pulled a gun out, a two-two pistol, levelled it at me. Now, I'm running full tilt. Mm. So I could stop eventually, yeah. right, get my gun out, but that ain't going to end well because he's no. given him too much of an opportunity. Just, yeah. So And I just couldn't stop, so I just carried on. I went clattering into him. The gun went flying. He went flying. He was nicked. Well, at least we got one of them. Yeah. So we then go back to the local police station and there's a you know, pandemonium going on because the detective inspector in charge of the operation is very, very concerned about his career because yeah. he's just lost 70 grand of yeah. the commissioner's money. Is that taxpayer's money then? Of the course it yeah. is, absolutely. Yeah. Hard-earned taxpayer's money. Yeah. Um, as good fortune would have it, um, witnesses gave evidence about seeing people enter the zoo and all that kind of stuff, and the zoo was searched, and in a skip hidden under a tarpaulin was found the holder with the 70 grand. What? Obviously, one of the bad guys has legged it into the zoo, yeah. stuffed it into the skip and thought, I'll come back come when back the dust later. is settled yeah. and I'll come back and get that. So that was recovered. A couple of the other bad guys were identified and it kind of, you know, that car crash of an operation was rescued to a certain yeah. extent. But I looked at all that and I went, oh, I'm sure I could be a better undercover cop than that. You know, I'm sure yeah. that they ain't going to rob me. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to let these yeah, yeah. Who, rob me. I'm, I may have missed it when you were telling the story, but who, how did that mess up then, that operation? Because it seemed the, like... The it was, woman the, would refuse oh, to get... Well, oh, so was it purely like, because of that? Yeah, that so, the, so the bad guys thought, well, these are a bunch of patsies. So we'll just right, rob them instead you know, of doing the deal. So instead oh, of doing the right. deal, yeah. they'll, they'll rob them. Yeah. Okay, I've got yeah. you. I've yeah. got you. Was that, so So is that that was the moment when you thought, I'm going to... I'm gonna yeah, move. I'll have a go at this. Yeah. yeah. I'll have a go at this. They ain't going to rob me. Can you remember your first ever time going undercover? Yes, well, I spent over a decade undercover, so there were countless operations I was involved in. But it was uh, 
it was nerve-wracking, it was exciting, as it was on each and every occasion. Right. Mm. Did you it know, did you, it get less did you get less nervous with No. No, you didn't. No, no. When you're when you're dealing with people who and I dealt with a wide array of, of different people. Some were career criminals, okay? Career cri criminals. Since they could walk, they've been born and raised in criminality. Mm -hmm. Professional gangsters. Yeah. And you are sitting in front of them, convincing them that you are one of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you have to be every bit as convincing as they are, or else you're going to get rumbled Found out. Yeah. Pre pretty quickly. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of the time, it was utterly terrifying. On other occasions, I was dealing with people who were clearly unwell, who clearly weren't abiding by the phrase, do not get high on what you supply. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because they were, quite frankly, off their faces. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes they quite openly were carrying guns. Mm. Um, and it was always a very testing, challenging environment to be in. Yeah. Sometimes less so. If, for example, you were sitting down with a wife who wanted her husband murdered and I was pretending to be that assassin. Yeah. Then <laughs> you then, were yeah. you were telling me this, weren't you? You were telling yeah. me, before we get on to that, I, I wanna I wanna just because it's so intriguing to me, I wanna know like every detail. So where what how you, how do you train to become a career criminal? Do you have to do you have to get lessons from actual criminals that have that have perhaps gone straight? Like how do you get in the mind of somebody like that when you've not necessarily been brought up around them well bearing in mind i'd been an errant kid yeah right so i knew a bit about being on the other side of the tracks yeah. mm. but of course i'd always been a very busy police officer yes yeah, so, so around i'd nicked anyway. hundreds yeah, of criminals yeah, yeah. right in my time i'd interviewed hundreds yeah. of criminals right you know i'd brought about the downfall of hundreds of criminals yeah so to actually just morph into being a crook myself yeah. wasn't that much of a quantum leap yeah now it would have been if I'd have if I was professing to be a publicly school educated mm. expert in fine art. Yeah. It was buying art and antiques. But I had colleagues that were exactly that. Right. So it was their job to go off and buy the stolen Rembrandt and all that kind of game. Yeah. And if they wanted a bit of South East London muscle, I'd be their driver and their minder on that kind of job. Yeah. Right. Amazing. Um, so stick to what you know. Yeah. Stick to what you're good at. And typecast. And, yeah. and don't yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't ever try to be, you know, something, something that is really way not, removed really, from really what not. you are. It, would you, is that quite an sorry, mate? Is that is that quite an exciting moment when you're in the boardroom? Like and and you've got you've got the crime laid out boardroom <laughs> like yeah, like, yeah, apprentice. like you're Alan Sugar yeah right? boardroom <laughs> I didn't hang about in boardrooms I was in boozers I was in bars I was in hotels I was in darkened alleyways I was in basement restaurants with armed bouncers on the door who were on the side of the bad guys. But that's once you had your, your character. I'm talking about when, you, when you're developing the plan, when you're coming up with the idea and you're saying, you'll be the henchman, you'll be the driver, well, I'll say this, I'll say that. Is that quite a fun time? Or, or, or is it just nerves? Because I'd imagine it's a little bit fun. No? You have to, you have to embrace the adrenaline, but you have to be able to control it. Yeah. And you have to be able to think on your feet. Right. Because whatever you think you are going into, I can utterly guarantee it will be different. Mm. It will not be what you are expecting. When you, you you said about, you know, you're sat opposite these 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 people that have been criminals for, for life, killers, you name it, and you're trying to convince them of, of that you're one of them, 
What's what sort of is there ever like initiations? Like much like that woman. Okay, well, if you're not a police officer, then strip off. I'm not saying they've said okay, strip off. Is there like they've got you to do some nasty dark things to prove you are who you are, say you are? Quite often they would say, "Well, you could be an undercover old Bill." Yeah. Okay. Naturally. Because they're paranoid, of yeah. course. They're involved in illegality, which they know is going to carry a very hefty sentence mm -hmm. if and when they get caught and convicted. And they don't want to go to jail. No. So you may have been introduced to them via any different kind of routes or people or by by virtue of frequenting where they frequent, although that was not the most particular, particularly successful way mm. to do it. But you will have these people who have not been born and raised with you, who are inherently suspicious yeah. about you, and may, and it happened on a number of occasions, they would say, you could be old Bill. Yeah. Right? If I was in a boozer and that was happening and I was on the opposite side of the table, what I would then do is pull my chair back, yeah. stick my hands under the table, flip the table so the drinks go everywhere. Yeah. They get drenched, table's upside down, everybody's you, having a look and I'm storming out the boozer. Because you're fucking offended that they'd have the audacity to call you an undercover. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Mm. Right? Brilliant. Uh, and then what did I hear? It's their footsteps coming yeah. down the road behind me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We really didn't mean to offend you. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Please come back in. You've got to understand our position. We didn't mean it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I say to myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever yeah, had to do the opposite uh, where you say yeah, to them uh, that they could be the undercover? No. I'd imagine that being like a, then you're a bringing, double bluff. You're then they're, bringing they're up the subject. They're selling me gear, though. They're selling me gear, or they're trying to hire me to commit a murder. So you're the random. All that kind of stuff. So Yeah, you know, yeah that, you're that, the outsider. So it's, yeah, so it's clear that they're, they're, they're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he's got loads of error in there, I guess. Yeah. If they have, yeah, because well, yeah. you've got the money. What's what? How long was... So these operations obviously vary in, in length and how long they take to do. Over a particularly long operation, you're getting to know these people inside out. Like you're you're really infiltrating that kind of circle. Did you ever become attached to any of them? No, never. No, you, you might you might like them, and they might be a bit of a laugh, and a lot of them really were. Yeah, but they're but, criminals. But at the end of the day, you know, you remember kind of what side you're on. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you never lose sight of that. If you do, then actually it's time for you to take a walk and find something else to do. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, the the. The demarcation lines were always very clear to me. Mm. What what is the route in? Like, how do you infiltrate these these groups, especially to get sat opposite the the big men at the top? Well, a lot of the time you would be introduced to them by by an informant. Invariably. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, that would happen a lot of the time. There would be more circuitous routes sometimes in order to protect an informant and distance them from the inevitability of people getting nicked. Mm you might have an informant would introduce an undercover cop. They'd spend some time with them. Then that undercover cop would introduce another undercover cop. And then perhaps that uh, second undercover cop would introduce another undercover so, cop. Yeah. So you are taking it step by step further and further away from the informant. So when they all end up getting nicked, banged up and staring down the barrel of a significant jail term, yeah. and they've got a lot of time to contemplate how it all went wrong, You've tried to build in some steps there, some distance to protect your informant. Mm. Amazing. What, 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 what was your first first undercover job? Do you remember it? Yeah, it was, uh, it was heroin. It was in West London. And, yeah, it kind of went okay. Um, but the adrenaline rush that I got from it 
Mm. And as the bad guys got nicked, the gear got seized, and I was disappearing off down the road at a rate of knots, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll have some more of this. I can yeah. do this. I can do this. Yeah. yeah. Was that, what was the, what, talk us through your, 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 bit, your biggest thing. Well, I suppose, I mean, the biggest thing I bought, guns and drugs and plotted murders and counterfeit currency and stolen high-value goods and all of that. Was this always in the UK or did you, did you ever have to? No, no, no. I travelled. I travelled here and there and afar. I went to America and trained with the FBI. Um, I travelled across Europe pretending to be a bad guy. Um, yeah, I had a, you know, I, I had a pretty good time of it. Um, albeit, as I say, it, it, there was always a, an unmistakable air of menace about the proceedings, which just yeah. simply wouldn't go away. And, right. And consequent threat. Yeah. But... Um, the case that really sort of brought my entire undercover career crashing down was when I had been part of a, a, a very big operation, a multi-agency operation involving the Garda Shikana, the Irish police, mm. what was then the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the Northern Irish Police, the FBI in America, the Customs, as they were then Customs and Excise, the Met Police, other police forces... It was an undercover operation with global links and the bad guys that were wanting to sell us industrial quantities of heroin were being funded by well-known terrorists. So much so that they said if we preferred to pay them in weapons, they would accept the weapons as payment rather than cash. These were very serious players. Mm. Eventually, after weeks, months of negotiating, a huge consignment of heroin was delivered to me at a hotel at Gatwick Airport. I spent the afternoon weighing and testing it and checking it was all there. There was cash ready to be exchanged in London and elsewhere in safety deposit boxes and lots and lots of stuff going on. And when me and the bad guy walked out to the lift after I'd weighed and tested all the gear to go downstairs to the bar to have a celebratory drink to, um, you know kind of signify the start of what everybody anticipated would be a long and prosperous um, kind of business arrangement. Mm. The armed police officers leapt out of nowhere and forced us to the ground and handcuffed us and arrested us. Um, and then there were simultaneous arrests elsewhere in the country as the, the kind of group got scooped up. Well, when they all appeared in court a few days later, they are all looking around in the dock and the southeast London cocky bastard with the ponytail halfway down his back isn't sitting in the dock with them. So yeah. they figure out, not surprisingly, he must be an undercover cop. Yeah, sure. So, so they then worked on the theory that if they killed me, they would kill the evidence. <laughs> and to a large extent, they were right. Uh, but, you know, being threatened is, is par for the course, and that was no particular cause for due alarm at that stage. Yeah. What? Why didn't they just sit you in the dock? Couldn't you just continue? Or is it once no, you get to the I'd arrest? Have to have, is I'd that... have had to have gone to prison. And but is it? Then, yeah, then but what am I going to no, share a cell with but, them? But, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm a good guy. You, yeah, of course. No, but for you, what I'm saying <laughs> is for your own safety, could you not have just done that bit, wasted a bit of taxpayers' money, but it is what it is, for your own safety, and then be shipped off to a different prison and no one ever sees you again? 
No, we were not in the business of deceiving the court. And then, of course, uh, they, would say, could, uh, they yeah. would say, well, where's he gone now then? He was in the court with us last week. Why ain't he in the court with us this week? Wow. Either way, so, so, literally, so with all under, that was going to be a question, actually. Uh, with the undercover stuff, it always comes to the point of arrest. And then if they figure out who you were, they figure out who you were. Yes. And sometimes I would go to court and give evidence. Yeah. You know, uh, and sometimes judges would not allow you to give evidence in a pseudonym or behind a screen and all of that. Yes, thank you to one particular judge who <laughs> shall remain nameless. <laughs> um, but and, and other times you'd give your, your evidence in the pseudonym that you used for the undercover operation. What would yeah. be a judge's reason for not wanting you to be hidden? Because he was a bit of a twat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're going back to this to this courtroom where, where these these bad guys have been done you're sat in there are you no no so oh, he's figured it out oh, the, oh that's that's how they figured it out because you're yeah. you're the, right okay and then what so what comes of that right so they all go off to prison they're on remand awaiting trial and um because the operation was so complex multiple agencies involved there was a lot of infighting amongst the different agencies who would take primacy over the prosecution and so on and so forth um, the deputy commissioner asked for a report to be compiled by one of the officers on the arresting team uh, to detail the, the operation from start to finish, essentially. And that report, which stretched to about seven pages, was written. And for some unbeknown reason, the officer who compiled that report didn't refer to me by my undercover number as allocated to me by the undercover unit at New Scotland Yard, this officer decided in this report to write my full name. Wow. Detective Constable Peter Blexley. Now, my surname is a rather unusual mm. surname. In fact, at the last count, there was only about 17 of us in the UK. Mm. So, first mistake, big mistake, my name goes in the report. Second big mistake, he prints the report off and takes it out of the police building. <laughs> Third big mistake, he puts it in a briefcase in the back of his unmarked police car. Then he goes shopping on the way home from work, and guess what happens? Gets it's stolen. robbed. Correct. Okay? So <laughs> now, what has subsequently happened is that the FBI have picked up on a phone tap that they've got in Boston, Massachusetts. The FBI have picked up that this plot to kill me is very, very real. So much so that the assassin has got a code name, the weapon has got a code name, and now all of a sudden, potentially, there is this report with my name in it. Should the plot and this report ever get married together, yeah. I would be very easy to find, mm. and they would be able to successfully carry out their assassination plan. So I'm driving home, all of this unbeknown to me, and I get a phone call from the yard, don't go home. Oh, right. Going to tell me why? No. Just be at the yard, <laughs> nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Did you have an inkling at that point? No, 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 no. I was really busy doing other undercover jobs and all that stuff. You know, I was fearless and flying here, there and everywhere. So you thought you were just going to go home and put your feet up? Well, no. Well, yeah. When they've said, don't go home, you know, it's kind of like... Yeah, well, until that point. Home. Until yeah, that yeah. point, you're ready yeah, yeah. to just chill out yeah. and then, yeah. Why, so were, they, they said, they why said, were they still happy for you to go in the next day? Why didn't they want you straight away if they were that worried? Well, this is late at night, and I'm sure they probably wanted to go home to bed. You know, <laughs> they? Yeah. Um, and they said, so book into a hotel using one of my false identities, because, of course, I had a number of covert identities. Yeah. 
book into a hotel, get your girlfriend to go back to your flat and pack a bag and be in here tomorrow morning. So I didn't go there at nine o'clock, did I? Of course I didn't. I got there at eight o'clock. Yeah. And a mate of mine said, have you seen this? As he pulled the report out of his pocket. And I said, nope. So he said, right, there's a copy of it for you. And I suggest you keep that because you might well need it. He then locked me in a cupboard and I read this report that had my name in it. And what, this has been stolen? It was taken out of police premises? Mm. You know, this is just nonsense. Utter nonsense. I could not believe what I was reading, being aware of the fact now that this had been stolen out yeah. of an unmarked police car. Anyway, by the close of play that day, the powers that be at New Scotland Yard had decided that I would have to abandon my life, abandon my home, abandon my identity and move very hurriedly into the witness protection programme. Wow. Unbelievable. Shit. <laughs> yes. So everything changed in that moment? Well, a lot changed. Um, you know, moving home so hurriedly and all of that and and being slung into an area that I was largely unfamiliar with. And, you know, I've always been a fairly neighbourly kind of bloke. Mm. You know, I've always said, good morning, good afternoon, how are you? Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly I'm in this neighbourhood where almost one of the worst things that can happen is that as I walk out of my front door, a neighbour's going to say, oh, hello, and how yeah. are you? And imagine when we moved in. So we're moving my clutter in, and I'm thinking, if the neighbour comes out to me and says, oh, and what's your name? Yeah. And what do you do? And where have you moved from? Yeah. And all of that. I'm thinking, I really don't want to do all this. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it was a it was an utter nightmare. So did they get you a house, did they? Or did yeah. You, and yeah, yeah. you didn't have to pay for that or anything? No, no, but I had to sell my flat. Fuck. You couldn't keep you, it. How far did they move you? Was it still it. within London or? It was still within London, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm completely naive to all of that. Like, I don't know how this works. But what you've never I, lived in a witness protection? <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I, no but, way. Imagine a place of your own in your name, a place where all your stuff is, where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special home ownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I never, I never, I thought it would just be a thing that after time you settle back into your old life and the dust has settled. I thought that's what it would be. I didn't realize it's a hard reset. So, believe it or not, 
the police still wanted their pound of flesh out of me. So this is how they wanted me to keep working and working <laughs> undercover. Okay, So this is how my sort of day would go living in the witness protection program. Mm. I wake up in the morning, walk down, and there is the mail on my doormat. Okay, And that is addressed to the identity in which I am living in this hideout. It's not a home, it's a bloody hideout. Yeah. Okay? So there's a salutary reminder of who I am, why I'm there, and who I'm living as. Yeah. So I leave the front door to go to work, checking under the car, of course, to make sure nobody's put an explosive device to the bottom of it and blown me to smithereens. Every single morning. Every day. Right. How paranoid must you have become? Well, you imagine how I managed to do that without the neighbours asking too many yeah. questions. Yeah. I'm just yeah. getting my ball back. <laughs> I've been playing <laughs> rebounds. Yeah, yeah. Every day of the week. <laughs> mm. right. okay. So so then nice. I get in the car and I drive to work and it'll take me about an hour or so to get into work. And during that hour, I can be myself. Hey. I can put whatever <laughs> radio station I want on. Pete, what tunes are you banging on? What, uh, go on, you got an you got an hour. You, that's, a, that's an album or two. What is, what album is, are you banging on? This is a long time ago. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm that old that I was there at the start of Capital Radio. Oh, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but um, so I'd I'd kind of enjoy that hour. I could relax, be myself. Because mm. the minute I get into work, they go, "Oi, Blex, we've got another undercover job coming." We want you to go out and do this and do that. And then what so if that was? It's, so it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I've already had three separate identities. Yeah. Jeez. Right? Every yeah. day of the week, yeah. I've got three separate identities. Yeah. Stressful. No no amount of Capital Radio can, can sort of distress that, right? No. And I really, <laughs> really didn't deal with it very well at all. Did you not? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that the job were entirely to blame for what happened to me a couple of years later, because to an extent, I was the architect of my own downfall in so much as that I drank too much and I smoked too much. Right. Because mm. I couldn't hack it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it, as I say, it, it wasn't a home. Yeah. So I'd get in and I'd go, right, can, bottle, what am I going to drink? Yeah. You know, and, and I went on a downward spiral. I was in the witness protection for program for, just over two years what? before I eventually mm. had a complete and utter mental breakdown and was admitted to a lock-in psychiatric ward. Really? Wow. I mean, I mean, you, you kind of, you took the kind of baton there and said that, that it wasn't all to do with your job, but I think it would, it would take some hell. Like I, 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 I think I would, Go on a downward spiral. Had that had that been me? Because when you've moved, that's your that's your life gone as you know it. Like you're starting fresh. Did you? Could you speak to your family? Like when you, when you're in this hideout, what do you, what elements of the hideout can you still be yourself? When I got to work, I would always try and blag a bit of time because I could use the work phones to ring home to ring my mum. Yeah, you know, and keep in touch there. But obviously, I didn't want any linkage between mobile phones when they came yeah. in, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and all of that. But um, so it was, it was, it was just a miserable, dark, horrible period of my life. And I turned into an absolute monster. Really? Oh, you really didn't want to have the misfortune to be around me back really? in those days. I did, was bad did, news. Did, um, cause you were saying at the time when they, when they said, don't go home, blah, 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 girlfriend, go back and get your stuff. Did, did she, come into that with you and she, then therefore she, did she have to d- go through it all as well 
she came with me. She was obviously offered the choice. Yeah. Um, she came with me, and it is a matter of considerable regret <laughs> that she bore the brunt of me turning mm. into a monster. Mm. Um, if you if you don't mind, what was that? Just <clears throat> when you say that, do you just mean that you was just like a not a very nice person to be around? I was unwell. I was massively, massively mentally unwell, mm. um, and so my behaviour was unpleasant, mm. unpredictable, yeah, erratic, um, and so much so that you know eventually she left, mm. um, and I blame her not one jot for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and not so many months after that, I completely, you know, I just and, and that's when function. you ended up in the, in the in hospital. Yeah. What, what was, what was that, that, that like at, at the time was, was you, this, this may sound a bit of an ignorant question, so I do apologize, but was you aware that it was you that was doing this at the time? You know, I was, I was so unwell. Mm. I mean, I was just so unwell. There wasn't any rationality to any of my thinking. Really? I was really seriously unwell. And at this point, had all had your your work with the Met Police and everything had that all gone? And I was still in the job, you know. I'd been working undercover the week before I went in the hospital. Blimey, yeah. So had, had no one clocked onto it, like how you were outside of work, where you were a different person the second you stepped through the door. I think I'd clocked onto it, but I was so unwell that I hadn't, you know, particularly uh, reached out and 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 asked mm. for help. Mm. Um, some tried, some knew the signs were there, some knew I was unwell, and and. And I thank them for that, but in the end, I just became such a such a seriously unwell person that uh, mm. a hospital that I couldn't get out of was the only option. And was right. was that the beginning of the comeback? You know, coming back to to yourself, to to Peter, or yes, it was. I yeah. mean, I was very fortunate to have the wonderful staff of the NHS look after me. Mm -hmm. They found a drug that worked. Um, I spent three and a half weeks in the hospital before they let me home but obviously not back to the hideout because the psychiatrist said to me he said peter if you're ever going to get well again and stay well you have to abandon all these other identities and you just have to be peter blexley mm. you cannot be other people anymore at so, that point was there still the risk of being assassinated for being who you actually are. There's well, so many course. layers so to this, it, aren't yeah, there? Like, it, I can completely like, empathise with yeah, why. Yeah, 100%. Because yeah. it's like, so are they basically giving you a choice of, look, for your own mental health, you need to go back to who you were, but then at the same time, there's still this lingering threat to your to your life. That superseded everything. Yeah. Mm. My desire and, and my family's desire to see me well again yeah. absolutely took precedence bar none. Mm. And I would happily have have taken an assassin's bullet. Yeah. That, I was then going to say that's not. Know, it's not even extreme just, in that circumstance to say that you were willing to die to get back to who you I, were. I just had to get well. Yeah, I just had to get well. But of course, I couldn't go back to the hideout. I couldn't go back to my previous flat. Yeah. So there were a lot of complexities in where I was going to live and who I was going to live with because yeah. I was fundamentally incapable of looking after myself at mm. the time. And um, yeah, so it was. All very challenging, very difficult, very dark days. Mm, yeah, but you know, you come out with the 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 wonder of the the staff, mm. with therapy, with other treatments, with talking, with my astonishing family. Yeah, um, I got well again. Mm. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, that's although, 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 I am very, very, kind of like super vigilant about my mental health. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I did have a relapse after I'd left the police because that whole episode really signified the beginning of the end of my police career. Right, right yeah. I clung on for another couple of years, tried to do some other jobs, um, but essentially it was kind of, it was over. Yeah. Um, and they ended up medically retiring me. Um, which, which, I, which, you know, was a shame because I, I'd only done 21 years. I wanted to do my 30. Mm. I had no other trade or calling or education to fall back on and all of that. So you, you felt um, like you, you had more to, to offer, more to give. Yeah, and I was I was a young man. I was 39, 40. Hey, kids, that's still young. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, you know, and um, there I was, essentially, felt like I was on the scrap heap of life and not really knowing what to do next. Mm. Well, you, you, you've you've very much, if you, if you don't mind me saying, had a second wind. You you you've, you're now um, you, you're searching for Kevin Parr, which we'll get to in the second part of the show. Um, people are probably screaming at their phones, screaming at their their um, computers at the moment because they may recognise your voice. You've got a very distinctive voice. Uh, you're obviously you you were obviously the guy that was on on Hunted um, Channel Four show. Uh, excuse so. me, I was the chief on Hunted. Chief, you yeah, chief. He <laughs> <laughs> was the guy. The not, guy. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. guy is just just how us kids say it these days. Oh, I do beg your pardon. Are <laughs> <laughs> you damning me with faint praise? There, <laughs> well, actually, chief can be used as a bit of an insult now, can't it? If somebody says, "Oh, you're a bit of a chief." Of an insult. Never heard that before. You call me life. chief all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that's okay. why. Yeah. I thought it was that, a nice thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not quite. But we're gonna get we're, we're gonna get to that to that um, second part of uh, of your life in, in in the second part of the show, um, which is which is nice. Well, I I I wouldn't usually go back to to topics that we've already gone through, but I've just got a few questions here. I would love to would love to know. Um, in your autobiography, I think it was you you mentioned um, being kidnapped, yep. and being stabbed. Yeah, I can't let the podcast go without hearing those stories, Pete. All right. Well, <laughs> apologies for this podcast, but I'm now pointing to my neck. Can you see the fading scar there, gentlemen? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's where I was stabbed in the neck by a drug dealer once. Um, it was a bit of a hairy moment um, as my colleagues lowered me to the ground, and I'm thinking, how bad is this? Um, yeah. And I was very frightened. I didn't want to breathe in too deeply in case I was going to ingest a lot of blood. Oh. That was my concern. Yeah. Um, so it was all a bit nerve wracking. The ambulance turned up. How did it come Went, to be? How? What? what like? Well, I was, it was an undercover job, but I wasn't undercover in in my sense of the word. I wasn't being the bad guy. It was a there was a new DI detective inspector had come on to one of the other teams, and he was a bit inexperienced. And they had an undercover job going. And myself and a couple of colleagues went to kind of help him out, sort of, you know, show him the ropes, how it should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd seen the bad guys toing and froing from this flat above some shops. You had to negotiate these metal stairs to get up to their flat. But So we knew where the bad guys were toing and froing from because we'd kept it under surveillance. The hit goes down, the drugs get seized, a couple of the bad guys get nicked. I go up to the DI and I said, we've got to hit that flat now. Right, we've got to hit that flat because the guy in that flat will be expecting his bad guy to come back to him with a big bag full of cash, yeah. having just done the deal. Yeah, and if we don't go through that door now, the guy is going to suddenly realise there is something wrong, and we don't know what we're going to be confronted with. So the di dithered. <laughs> 
Right. And I got just a little bit cross. <laughs> um, and eventually, way too late, after about 15 minutes, he said, we'll go in. Oh, right. Thank you, Governor. In, a... in the one time where you really need urgency. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. an enlightened and prompt decision that was <laughs> yeah. just made. So anyway, I go, I go up, check the door covertly to see whether you can put it in, basically, you yeah. know, whether you can smash the door in, because there are some doors... You can't. You yeah. need to saw him in half or get some other kind of equipment. Anyway, so we go up to the door. Um, yeah, go. Um, and the door flies open. And there is, believe it or not, a man connected to the drug deal, as we think, okay, who has been very concerned by the fact that his mate didn't come yeah, back instantly. 15 minutes late, yeah. With a big bag of cash. yeah. yeah. <coughs> He's got a knife. I said, I'm a police officer, and it didn't make one jot of difference uh, to him. And he went bang and stabbed me in the neck. Um, so I grabbed hold of him, and I've got his wrist, and there were some railings outside, so I've pinned him over these railings. I'm really not very happy with this man. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. And I've got his wrist, and he is still holding the knife, and the knife is covered in blood, and I'm going... Oh, That's shit. my blood. Shit. Can somebody come and grab hold of this bloke? Because I've just been stabbed in the neck. Oh, my colleagues got hold of him. Um, I was then sort of led down these metal stairs down to the road, sat down. Somebody wrapped a scarf around my neck. The ambulance was called. Uh, Nerve-wracking journey to the hospital. <laughs> Get, I'm wheeled into A&E, and there was this remarkable uh, lady, accident and emergency doctor, and she peels the scarf off very gingerly. Yeah. Leans over, takes a look, and she goes, flesh wound, you'll be fine. I'll stitch it up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well. I was like, phew. <laughs> you know, she didn't sugarcoat it at no, all. But yeah. she, was, she was wonderful. And, um, oh, that's brilliant. And I was out at the hospital a couple of hours later with a nice lifelong scar to show for it. And yeah. Shirt covered in blood and all of that. Yeah, brilliant. And, and what what about the time when you were you were taken hostage? Is not so many miles from here. Oh, oh. I'm going to be scared when I leave okay. here later tonight. <laughs> Back in the day, there was a knife shop. Believe it or not, right before all the legislation we live under today was brought in, you could sell knives, and it was it was literally it was called a, the, the French name for it. I think it was Leguiza or something, something to do with mm. knives, right? Not as in Lugiza. That's what I was going to say. That's what they call me. That's what they call me. Wow. (laughs) Lugiza. Yeah. yeah. Um, And the whole place was just adorned with knives. The walls, the display cabinets, knives, swords, all manner of bladed weaponry that you could possibly imagine and some you couldn't. Yeah. Anyway, the shaven-headed nutter who ran this shop um, was selling me a rather large consignment of cannabis at at the time. So I had my mate parked up around the corner with a big lump of money in the car, my undercover colleague, and we went through very long protracted negotiations about how this deal was going to take place. And essentially, uh, the shaven-headed man was insisting that I brought the money into the shop. Okay, he was insisting on that. And I wasn't budging and yeah. in saying that I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Because it would have been a folly to do that. It would have been nonsense. Yeah. You take a big joey full of scratch, bag full of money, mm, yeah. right? 
into there. There's <coughs> quite a few weapons in there. <laughs> but, yeah. but for, but for, you, is... for you as a police officer, that wouldn't have made sense. But for the normal man that is going to buy a bag of weed like that, wouldn't that be the go-to protocol? Wouldn't you just walk in and... This was not a bag of weed. Oh. Right? This what? was... He's talking a lot. Right. Oh, I've got dear, I've got 40, 50 grand in my holder, right? <laughs> I'll tell you how okay. thick I am. When you then said, this is not a bag of weed, I was thinking, what is it a bag of? <laughs> right. right. You it's mean a... you mean lots no, worry, of... I'm, I'm listening. It's fine. Uh, I'm on. listening. I'm just not I understanding because I'm thick. <laughs> Jack, get your 10 pound bag and your skins. Pop outside. Have a joint. <laughs> Come back. Right. And we're, we're talking uh, about a, a rather more serious level of drug dealing as it was. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So I am yeah. not going to take tens upon tens of thousands of pounds into this knife shop. And he had loads of his firm in this shop as well, right? I am outnumbered like five to one, okay? And they're all raving nutcases, to be perfectly honest with you. And I'm just not taking the money in there because I'm just going to get robbed. Mm, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's my argument. You're just going to rob me and then boot my backside out of here and I've been done for 40, 50 grand. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not having it. I'm not doing it. We'll do the trade, but we'll do the trade somewhere sensibly, elsewhere, neutral territory, mutual respect. Come on, let's go to work. Yeah. He's not having it. Anyway, I managed to persuade him to get the a driver to turn up at the front door. I jump in the car. They then take me on a magical mystery tour, but they've got all the gear in the boot, so I get to look at the gear. Okay. So I knew the gear was there. Mm. And, of course, we've got a surveillance team covertly deployed. And so I'm pretty convinced that they will have seen me get into that car. They'll have followed that car. They'll have it plotted up. And they'll be in a position, hopefully, to make the arrests. Yeah. So I go back. And I'm a bit chilled with it until all of a sudden, junk, junk, the bolts on the front door go. Right? Junk, junk, the bolts on the back door go. Right? And he says, you are not leaving here until the money comes in. End of story. He said, the only way you will be leaving here is with six of them in your back if you don't bring the money in. And he's pointing to these enormous great knives that are on the wall. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, if only I paid attention at school, I could I, I, <laughs> I could be in a highly paid job in a <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, what am yeah. I doing here? Yeah. Anyway, it all got very tense. He kept me there for hours. There was no way of me negotiating my way out. And I tried absolutely everything. And it wasn't happening. And I thought, I think I'm going to get really seriously hurt if I'm not, mm. if I'm not careful here. Do you remember some, so, of the, some of the ways in which you tried to get out? Because I don't know what the fuck I would do in that situation. Yeah, so. I, I'm, just, I'm trying to ne- negotiate for the deal to take place anywhere but in these premises. Yeah. It's his home territory. Yeah. Mm. I'm outnumbered. Yeah. I can't get out the back door. I can't get out the front door. I'm locked in there. This geezer's got access to hundreds of knives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just a tad vulnerable, if I might say so. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So eventually, I ring my mate because I know there's no way out of here and this is not going to end well. So I ring my mate. You may not be surprised to know that when you go out on an undercover operation, you make sure that you have a panic phrase or mm, expression right to use between you and your colleague yeah okay so and if you use that phrase okay means it means mm. help yeah. yeah right i mean not just help yeah but really help yeah, yeah. right yeah so i ring my mate 
who's parked up in the car, not so far away, with all the money in the boot, this, that and the other, and I give him a ring, bearing in mind that said shaven-headed man and his cohorts are all listening to me, mm. right? Yeah. So I said, okay, bud, um, all right, I've kind of seen the light. I understand their reasoning. Um, bring the bring the money into the shop, right? Now, I know the minute I'm saying that to my colleague, he's going to be going, Blex has lost his marbles here, right? Yeah. Something, something's, you know, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, bring it. He said, you sure? Yeah, 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 mate, yeah. No problem. How far away are you? Oh, okay. Yeah, five, ten minutes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, no problem, mate. No, 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 no. We're, we're all going to do it. It's all going to be fine. Yeah, lovely. Okay, I'll see you. Oh, oh by the way, mate, um, don't forget, it's Jackie's birthday tomorrow, so get a card. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. All right, mate. See you in a bit. Bye. Cheers. Right? The phrase was, if I say it's Jackie's birthday, you better fucking come and rescue me. Yeah. yeah. Right? Pardon my language. No, Sorry. Sorry. No, you're fine. No, you're fine. Apologies. Just for a moment, yeah. I was back in that shop. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we, we swear. So. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> Sound like you're um, bragging. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I'm just hoping against hope. Mm. And a few minutes later... All hell broke loose as uh, my colleagues just took the front of the shop off, basically, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, and came rushing through. And my dearly departed former colleague, Chris Hardy, who died a couple of years ago, mm. rest in peace, Chris, was the first one through the door. And he just threw his arm around me and dragged me out of it. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was it. And you thought, you, so you thought in that moment that you was probably a bit of a goner? I guess. Well, I, I, I was concerned for my own safety. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's a, that's a hell of a story, Pete. Um, when we come back after this short break, we will be looking at these leaflets that you've kindly brought in that are, are titled, I'm coming for you. Kevin Parle, your days on the run are numbered. We'll find out exactly what this is about. We'll have a little chat about Hunted and uh, we'll talk about a few of uh, y- your books that are for sale. So um, come back after this. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello guys and welcome back to Jack Makes Happy Hour. Still here with Stevie, still here with Doody. Um, Stevie, we were we were talking to Pete during the break uh, yeah. about a story that you're very fascinated in. It's one of those stories where before Pete got here, um, you were trying to tell me and I was like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear the story from you. Yeah. I'd rather hear it from the man himself. So yeah. To be fair, I haven't read that Briefly. much into it for exactly the same reason. We obviously want to hear you, what you have to say about it. But doing a little bit of research, I saw that one of your undercover jobs was that you had to be a contract killer. Yes, there were a, a number of occasions when I pretended to be that gun for hire, that would-be assassin. Um, but I think the one you're talking about is when, believe it or not, there was a serving detective sergeant in the West Midlands Police Force by the name of Michael Ambezus. And he wasn't your average detective sergeant. He lived a bit of a flamboyant lifestyle and he liked casinos and um, and the like. Oh, yeah. And he was, on, in, uh, he was in a, a love uh, tryst with a married woman. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, 
the detective sergeant and the married woman came to me and my colleague eventually, you know, after introductions had been made and all that kind of stuff, and they asked if we would assassinate this woman's husband. <laughs> what? Now, so, I, I, sorry, I, if I was... Uh, this might seem silly. If I was him, I wouldn't go to such an extreme. Maybe just, like, plant something on him, get him sent away. Like, yeah, but pretend he's such, cheated. Uh, or, or, like, heavy drugs or uh, something. Either oh, way, yeah. we're, we're, either oh, way, either we're breaking the law. about very laudable no, behaviour. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think that's true, yeah, I'll shut up. No, it's, 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 um, like, yeah, what, I'm what? a sergeant. I'll just go and plant some drugs on me love rival. Yeah, then, or get him bumped off. Or get banged up. Or get him bumped off. Yeah. But, no, they decided that they'd best have him out the way. So That's one way to do it. Yeah. So, the wife... And the sergeant utterly fell for the charms of me and my colleague. Brilliant. They were entirely convinced that we were assassins. Yeah. Uh, but of course, it's actually quite a complex thing when mm. you're pretending to be uh, a, a contract killer, because what you've got to do is you've got to you've got to gather enough evidence yeah. to be able to get these people in front of the court and hopefully secure a conviction. And of course, what you don't want to do is for them to be charged, go to court and actually turn around as part of their defence and say, well, you know what? I didn't actually mean it. Yeah, you know, is that I, had, I had thought about it, mm. you know, and I suspect, unfortunately, there's probably many people out there, well, some people out there, mm. that have thought about what would life be if if my partner was bumped off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, in a moment yeah. of rage. Yeah. yeah. Nice life you know. insurance policy. Yeah. And then off you go. I've been yeah. close. But actually carrying it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fiona, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will protect you to the nth degree. <laughs> All right, trust me. You know if Fiona now just happens to go for any reason, it's not this does look not good. look good for you. Tr- True. Hopefully she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but but if she has, all right, we'll we'll discuss different types of dying. If she ha- if she has a heart attack, I'm not in the in the frame. If she gets shot, how am I getting a gun? Maybe the hired killer's getting the gun that you hired. I hired Peter. That's what it is. <laughs> He's at the game now. <laughs> uh, I am firmly retired uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and have what I loosely call a career in the media now, thank you. <laughs> right, I'm yeah. not going to sacrifice it by murdering Fiona. <laughs> right? Okay, So you'll have to go elsewhere and I shall take great pleasure when you are rightly captured, <laughs> charged and convicted of conspiracy to murder. <laughs> I didn't expect it to take this turn when I asked uh, for the story. No, no. Yeah, right, yeah and if we get on yeah, the yeah. killing Fiona... Through you! <laughs> right? So back to it. He's good. He's worked it out. You can tell he was a detective straight away. Yeah. <laughs> right. So where are you? Where, so, are, where uh, were we? Yeah, I was saying that you don't want to go through all of that rigmarole yeah. for them to get off at court by saying, oh, we didn't actually mean it. You know, we were, we were just a bit upset. So mm. you have to get a lot of evidence from the people that are trying to hire you. And, you know, I don't want to give away too much trade craft, but of course... You will want to know where that person lives, what their routine yeah. is, what vehicles they drive, where they go, all yeah. of that, because you are figuring out, as a would-be assassin, mm. how you may be able to kill them. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and the real kind of... So so we did all of that, and we garnered all that evidence from the pair of them. We sat them down in hotel rooms that were bugged and recorded all the conversations of all this. And then you do have to say to him, you know... Um, well, I don't want you getting a touch of the seconds, as I would call it. So after I've shot your husband through the head yeah. 
and he is brown bread on the floor, yeah. okay, and the police come calling for you because they immediately suspect yeah. a spouse, a partner, a wife, a husband, okay, what are you going to do? Mm. You know, can I trust you to keep your trap shut yeah. and not drop me in it? Mm. Um, so we go through all of that kind of stuff and then eventually with these two, we agreed to carry out the murder for £20,000 and we asked for £10,000 as a deposit. Yeah. And they delivered it to us in a hotel room. The pair of them came up, met with me and my colleague, delivered the £10,000. I counted out the £10,000 to make sure it was all there. Uh, I got the hump because they'd clearly gone to a cash point and got some of the notes out because they had sequential numbers on them. Right, They yeah. were brand new notes. Right. Yeah. And that, of course, is a bit of a security risk to me as a professional assassin, mm. getting captured in front of, uh, in possession of that money, for example. Anyway, we concluded the negotiations, agreed that we'd be in touch after the murder had taken place. And then there was a knock on the door and in came the cops mm. and they arrested them. Yeah. They wow. went, off to, went off to court. They pleaded not guilty. We gave all our raft of evidence and they were quite rightfully convicted of yeah. conspiracy to murder. How 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 does how does how does, how did you become the contract killer? Like, do you, do you how did they get li- aligned with you? Do you see what I mean? As as an undercover, or were they just unlucky that it just so happened to they they went to hire you? Do you see what I mean? Because there's or not like we, a hotline you email into, is there? Like, or, and, no, no, but, guns for hire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, but but also like, yeah. is it? Do you just? Is it just the luck of the draw with them that they just happened to choose a hired killer that was an undercover cop and not an actual one? It was the luck of the draw for her husband. Of course. That it yeah. was us. Yeah. Yeah. And not a bona fide so, would be murderer. Yeah. So we were so there was intru- no tips, tip off or anything like we, that. We were introduced to them. Right. Because right. The, and the person that introduced us, quite rightly, felt that trying to hire someone to murder someone. So they knew you were undercover. Was, was, they, yeah. they, they, they went to the cops. They yeah, went to yeah, the yeah, cops. Yeah, yeah. And this was, this was in Birmingham. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so obviously they didn't want local undercover cops because no. of the, because the Ambesus was a serving cop, so yeah. they might well have known their undercover yeah. cops and all that kind of kind of stuff. So we uh, we got the job down in London and we travelled up to Birmingham, and spent a lot of time up there that year. Um, how was that? Feel for you. I, I like Birmingham. There. I'm not a big fan. Have yeah. you been? So every time I've been, it's been grey oh. and miserable. Mm. TGF from Birmingham, aren't they? Yeah, I live in Bristol. They're from Dudley. 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 20 20 grand seems a bloody good deal. Cheap. If you want someone. It was back in the day, it was what we regarded as the going rate, and generally speaking, it was. Wow. So. Do you think that much of that kind of stuff actually still goes on today? Like paid assassinations and stuff? There's not as many assassins out there as certain movies might depict, for example. Yeah. there's not a, Horrible a gun for hire on every corner. Mm. But the unfortunate stats are that we have a growing murder rate in this country and a decreasing conviction rate. So mm. being a little bit off message, unfortunately, people are committing murder and getting away with it, right. which is a wow. concern for us all. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not great to hear from, no. from an ex-cop. Um, what You said that a lot of these undercover cases uh, were based around um, drugs specifically uh, what 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 you, in one of your first emails to me you were quite refreshingly open and honest actually and, and said that you'd like to use today to discuss your opinions on on a, on a potential drug law reform what in, in what in what capacity what what's your thoughts okay drugs have formed a large part of my life right obviously 
you know, as a cop, as a detective, arresting people and seizing them, mm-hmm. working undercover, mm-hmm. buying literally tens upon tens of millions of pounds worth of drugs of all descriptions, of all types, um, rather foolishly after I was retired from the police and I was a bit of a rudderless ship for a little while, I indulged in drugs by way of trying to recreate that buzz and having some degree of excitement in my life and mm. what a pathetic waste of time, effort and money that was because whilst I'm no Puritan and and people want to take drugs and they will and, of course, they do in their millions, as we know, mm-hmm. because the whole industry is about supply and demand and the demand is there. And if you're going to take drugs, fine. But you know what? If you're going to smoke weed, I'm not really interested in learning about trying to understand modern jazz i don't <laughs> i don't want to eat four boxes of maltesers <laughs> you don't other chocolate snacks are available right? and, oh, it's not the bbc is it no, no, no say what you want okay, yeah, right, good. Right. <laughs> and if you want to shove coke up your nose please don't come and have a conversation with me because i know you think you're the most interesting person <laughs> on the entire planet earth right but trust me, because I've been there and I've been that interminable bore myself, you frankly ain't. <laughs> okay? And I'd rather talk to somebody else. Right. But And I understand all the dance culture. I was there when the rave scene was kicking off. You know what I mean? And I might have been an undercover cop, but I did know how to enjoy myself at weekends <laughs> or when otherwise off duty. You know, I've been around the, I've been around the block many, many a time mm, yeah. with, in regards to just about every aspect of the whole illegal drugs industry. Mm. Yeah. And it ain't going away. Mm. And when President Richard Nixon in 1971 labelled drugs public enemy number one, then the whole war on drugs phrase came into being. And the UK responded with the Misuse of Drugs Act of 1971, which is still in place today. And we fought that war on drugs for over 50 years and quite frankly, it is a war that cannot and will not be won. And it's an utter nonsense that this entire industry, which is globally worth in excess of $500 billion a year, mm. is left exclusively in the hands of criminals. Yeah. It's a nonsense. It's yeah. about time we, the taxpaying public, had control of that industry so that we can benefit from the revenue. Mm. We can, if we legalise all drugs, every single drug imaginable in terms of the illegal ones, so your weed, your heroin, your coke, your ecstasy, your LSD, Mm -hmm. all of that, legalise the lot Mm. and regulate it. Regulate it. So the whole cultivation, manufacturing process and retail process is licensed. So Mm. you don't go down an alleyway to score your bit of gear Mm. off somebody who has an inherent interest in selling you more and more and more and other different types of drugs. Mm. But you go to a licensed drugstore, forgive my unimaginative name as I'm calling it, Mm -hmm. right? But you go to a licensed drugstore, you know what you're buying, you know what's in it, you know how it was manufactured, you get a little bit of advice or a label on how to safely use it, you can go to a club and you, can, you there will be no need to have it tested because yeah. it will have been manufactured not in a frigging illegal drug factory yeah. in Amsterdam yeah. or Birmingham or wheresoever in yeah. the world it's been manufactured. Mm. It is legitimately produced 
in a licensed, clean premises mm. somewhere where it can be as safe as possible. Mm. So I'm not just about raising the revenue. I'm about keeping people safe. Mm. And I don't think there's any need to criminalise people because they have a smoke or they have a line or they drop a pill. Mm. I think we could probably halve the prison population overnight. Yeah. We would raise billions upon billions <clears throat> in revenue. We would keep people safe. Mm. We would largely put many, many criminals utterly out of business if we, and when I say we, I talk about we as a society. Mm -hmm. yeah. If we could beat organised crime on three fronts, and that is price, purity, and availability, mm. then they where die. can the crooks go yeah. if they've got to sell it more expensively mm. and it's rubbish gear that you don't know what the history of it is, mm. then why on earth are you going to go to them? Yeah. You're going to walk up to that legitimate drugstore mm. and say, I'll have a gram of cocaine, please. And they say, 95% pure or 75% pure, for example. Mm. Right? Which will trounce to 35% garbage that people are probably buying as we speak mm. off of crooks trying to make a few quid yeah. who may have a knife or a gun down the back of their trousers. Yeah. Put them out of business. Make people safe. Protect people that are drug users. And if you're a problematic drug user, then you'll get the help you need. Mm because so many billions will be raised in taxes. It will be an industry that we control mm. and not criminals. Now, let me tell you, the drug law reform movement is a growing one. Mm. It is growing. Politicians are coming on board. Both Labour and Conservatives actually have groups within their party that are exploring drug law reform. You won't find politicians mention it now during a general election campaign. <clears throat> no, of course not. Because, frankly, some of them have, have bottled it and are too frightened to mention it. Yeah. And I do understand that to Mrs. Miggins living in the Cotswold, who's reading the Daily Mail, mm. right, the very prospect of making drugs legal Horrifying. will terrify her. Mm -hmm. mm. But you know what, Mrs. Miggins? The industry is coming to you if it hasn't already arrived courtesy of county lines. Mm -hmm. mm. It's in every town, village, hamlet and city across the nation. Yeah. The demand is not going away. No. People want to take drugs. Mm -hmm. So why don't they take drugs that we, as a society, through our legislators and the companies that are engaged to do it, why don't we produce it safely, market it safely, hopefully have people taking it safely mm. and put all those crooks out of business. What a brilliant way to, to, to put it. I mean, I'm sold. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't say a thing during that. I was like, yeah. Yeah. That was just... It makes, there's no logic no, to not agree with that. Yeah. What I would ask is why do you think, well, don't know if you'll have the answer, that isn't already happening. What's the opposing argument to it that some might propose? Uh, ignorance. Right. Fear of politicians, although there are some courageous politicians beginning to put their head above the parapet now yeah. and campaign for reform and fair play to them. They will be seen as the enlightened ones in years to come. Right. Drug law reform is coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It will happen. I used to say to my kids, I don't think it would happen in my lifetime. Well, we don't know how long we're going to live, do we? No. Um, but if I'm granted another decade or two, I think I, I will see it in my lifetime, yeah. and that will be amazing. I hope you're right, because it made a lot of sense. <laughs>
Um, <clears throat> want to move on, Pete, to to um, your your involvement in um, in Channel 4's Hunted, which yeah. I, I think you'll agree is probably where you're most commonly recognised from. Um, yes, it's not for writing plays for Radio <laughs> 4. It's not for writing my three books. It's we- not for my thousands <laughs> of broadcasts on crime and policing and all of that. <laughs> it's for being on an entertainment show <laughs> where I chased or tried to help my team capture pretend fugitives. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the way the world is. Like, it's a bit unfair. Like, for, for example, I always t- tell the kind of, like, story that I interviewed Ricky Gervais, who's my comedy hero, many years ago, three years ago now, and I put the video up, and it got X amount of views, and then the next day I just slagged off some YouTuber's T-shirt, and it got ten times that amount of views. So it's like, it's a bit... It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Because sometimes what, what we perceive to be our defining moments, other people... Yeah, don't. Don't. And yeah, yeah and, and and that's a shame. I, I certainly have to admit that I, I, I didn't know who you were until, until I watched Hunted. I thought you was very, very good on it. Um, my... my I, I know you're, you've left the show now and, and, and you still speak nothing but highly of it. I was part of the kind of like suspicious group of people that watch that just because I work within media and, and I sometimes see how things work. You go to a comedy show, um, some comedy shows like Live at the Apollo, they tell you when to clap and they overlay that and, and it's not always that authentic. But you you, you say, well, it is, right? The show, is it is it completely as we see it or what what, what would you say? Because Well, well of course, the, the show has the, the power of the edit. Yeah. So there are many hours of relative inactivity, although we're always thinking of different ideas as to how we could catch the fugitives, what kind of, you know, what kind of ruse could we come up with? And so we spent a lot of time doing that. But of course, you know, they take weeks of long 12-hour days, all of which are filmed, and they cram it into six times 48 minutes. Yeah. So, of course, the power yeah. of the edit is there to make the show gripping and pacey and all of that. But from our perspective, when I was chief throughout the six episodes I was involved in, when I did four episodes of the main show and two of the celebrity version, right? I was a deputy in the first one, and then I got promoted to chief. And as a former police colleague of mine said, only in telly could you get promoted yeah. to chief. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, thanks, pal. Um, he weren't wrong. <laughs> he really, really wasn't. Um, it was, we played it utterly straight down the line. Yeah. And it's a very heavily regulated show because, of course, after series one, a £100,000 prize money came up, came into yeah. to, uh, the equation. And, of course, when a fugitive gets captured and they have been denied the right to potentially earn a life-changing amount of money, they turn round to the producers and say, you show me from A to Z how I got caught, mm. as you would expect them to do. Yeah. Right. So it has to be legit. Yeah. And, of but, course, but... Ofcom would be all over it like a rash mm. because it's such a large amount of money. Mm-hmm. So... Just let the cynics say what they want to say. Yeah. Okay. You know, just park them and ignore them. Our point of view, we played that utterly, utterly straight. Creatively, of course. Look at the scams I got up to over the years. Delivering a toy car to somebody's house to irritate people. Reading someone a bedtime story to irritate them and provoke them into some kind of a reaction. Mm -hmm. You know, kidnapping Kem's teddy bear. Yeah, when Chris and Ken went on the run. Yeah, you know, and cuddling that on my knee and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, all those sort of things that we did, 
to get under people's skin. Yeah. But in terms of our investigations, and we did some really fantastic investigative work, really good work to capture them, an awful lot of which doesn't make it to screen, unfortunately. Right. But I was very proud of my involvement with the show. Mm. We played everything absolutely down the line because I am a straight runner. Yeah. And that's it. And I'm not mm. going to jeopardise my integrity right. for the sake of an entertainment show. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. If you were on the other side and you were the ones running from the law, you don't want to give all your tips and, and tricks away. because From I, the law or from Hunted? For, um, What's the okay, difference? That, that, yeah, well, what's the difference? Uh, yeah, what is the, what's the what's the difference? Hunt is a TV show. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how much do I have to explain? No, if, <laughs> if it's an actual fugitive, is there certain Hunt, things you can do more because there's not a hundred grand on the line? Hunted is obviously based yes, on how are. the how the police do things, right? Right. If you're a real fugitive, mm -hmm. right, there are many uh, tips and hints I could give you on how to evade capture. But of course, I'm not going well, yeah, to. No, no, right? Yeah. However, yeah. if you're a fugitive on Hunted mm. and you want a bit of advice, mm. it would be this. Yeah. Be nice to people. Yeah. Just be genuinely nice to people. Yeah. Because if you are, then they will give you a lift. Yeah. They will give you a bed for the night. Yeah. They'll wash your clothes. They'll feed you. They'll give you a few quid and they'll help you. Yeah. If you are a jumped-up arse, they will pick the phone up to the chief, who is now Ben, and tell him where you are. Right. Get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be nice. Be nice. And what if you're an actual fugitive? You're not going to tell us anything? Yeah. Oh, yes, well, if you've murdered someone this yeah. afternoon... Be nice. And you'd like to know how to evade law enforcement? Yeah. Okay, talking about um, real kind of fugitives that are on the yeah. run you have um come equipped today with these leaflets that i alluded to in the first half of the show um kevin Paul, yeah he is a murderer that's on the run uh he's not been convicted he's wanted in connection with two murders okay let's um, make that clear uh, allegedly a, a murderer um tell us a bit about uh, about the case and and your involvement in this because this is to the average joe such as me stevie and jordan this is very exciting stuff pete it's got to be said okay well thank mm. you um earlier in the year february when i announced that i was leaving hunted obviously i was looking for my next major project mm -hmm. and it that would be a book um because my two most recent books were on unsolved murders cases many cases that i'm still really involved in in mm -hmm. fact Today is the 15th anniversary of the murder of a 30-year-old father of two called Alistair Wilson. And my last book, To Catch a Killer, is all about that crime and my research into that crime and my findings and my journey through investigating it and researching it. And today, as I say, is the anniversary and I sincerely hope that one day we will see some justice for Alistair mm. and mm. his family. Um, at the end of, the, of, of February, when I announced that I was leaving Hunted, looking for my next project, prim primarily a book. Um, I'm pitching to my publisher ideas, and I thought that building on what you said not so long ago, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not known for my plays. I'm kind of known a bit for my books, but I'm mm -hmm. known for hunting pretend fugitives. I thought, well, let's make a combination of everything. So I use the skills that I've got as a lifetime investigator, the network of friends and colleagues that I've built up over the years, including people on Hunted, and what I'm known for. And why don't I hunt a real fugitive? Mm. 
Yeah. Well, Kevin Powell is very much a real fugitive. He has been on the run for over 15 years. He's wanted in connection with two separate murders, the murder of 16-year-old, 16-year-old Liam Kelly mm-hmm. in 2004 and the shooting dead of 22-year-old mother of three young kids, Lucy Hargreaves, in 2005. Mm. Two very different, distinct murders. Parle is wanted in connection with both of them. I've had, I announced the start of my hunt for Parle at a press conference on the 29th of April this year. And in all the years I've been on social media, I've had nothing but loveliness, essentially, from people. You know, it's been a joyous thing for me. You're one of the lucky ones, I think. Yeah. Well, there you go. Until I started hunting Kevin Powell. Oh, right. So until you, st- until you started hunting a potential murderer, people were nice. Well, what made them change when... When- well, since then, I've been trolled. I've had some unpleasantness. My website has been hacked. And photographs of my house have been posted on social media. In wow. fact, one photograph of my house went up on social media with a description of the bedroom in which I sleep. Wow. Now, why on earth would anybody want to do that? Yeah. Because they have an interest in Kevin Parle and they want to put me off of doing what I'm doing and they shall manifestly fail because I will not be deterred, I will not be bowed and I will not be frightened out of doing what I am doing and that is trying to find Kevin Parle, dead or alive. There is a school of thought that wants me to believe that he's dead. Mm. Well, to all of those people, I say, prove it. Mm-hmm. I've got a shovel in the boot of my car. <laughs> you tell me where he is and I'll go and dig him up. Mm. Yeah. Okay? But of course, if you were wanted in connection with two separate murders, wouldn't you want that rumour going around that yeah, you were dead? dead? Yeah. yeah. To yeah. disincentivise people? Yeah. Absolutely. Of course you would. Absolutely. So I'm not having it because there's another clear and distinct school of thought that says he's very much alive. Now, my hunt for Paul will form the basis of my next book, which will be called I'm Coming For You. But I'm delighted to say the BBC have commissioned a 12-part podcast series on my hunt for Paul. Oh, amazing. Which will be a very different thing from the podcast because you're going to get a real flavour of the victims, hmm. the city... Mm. The culture around Liverpool, the culture around serious and organised crime in that city and beyond, yep. and all of that. Mm. And the podcast will probably uh, begin at the end of January. Oh, that sounds Fantastic. exciting. Yeah. For, for our listeners, do you mind going into a little bit of detail as to what he possibly did? So the Not two murders, um, yeah. just so they can basically hear how horrific it was and why it's so important to find this guy. Yeah. Okay, Liam Kelly, 16, Mm. 16 years old, and I make no apologies for repeating that twice. Mm. Um, I struggle to call Liam a model student, okay? In fact, some people that I've spoken to have spoken about him very disparagingly. But, you know, I'm not going to speak ill of the dead here. Mm. What I will say is that he was denied the opportunity to grow, yeah. to mature, mm-hmm. to enter manhood, mm-hmm. to find a life partner, to provide for a family. All of that was denied to him. He was a 16-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. 
And then when we, and he was shot dead, by the way. Some people have been convicted in connection with Liam's murder. Okay. Uh, a guy called Anthony Campbell pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life with a minimum of 26 years. But there were two men at the point where Liam was murdered. And Anthony Campbell did not pull the trigger. So, and Kevin Parley's wanted in connection with that crime. He mm -hmm. very, very much needs to be found mm -hmm. and to answer the allegations made against him. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then, just over a year later, 22-year-old Lucy Hargreaves, there's a picture of her here on my flyer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you go onto my social media, you can find all of these there and I'd be hugely grateful. So you're at Peter Blakesley, Blexley on uh, Twitter and same on, on Facebook. At Peter Blexley, yeah. And I'll, <laughs> I'll spell that for you. <laughs> Jack Mart, isn't it? <laughs> No, um, as I say, unusual spelling of my surname, mm. B-L-E-K-S-L-E-Y. Mm -hmm. um, Lucy Hargreaves, described to me by many as being as beautiful on the inside as she was on the outside. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, she had a, a partner who 12 years earlier was a passenger in a car, a stolen car, that crashed into some pedestrians and killed a four-year-old boy. Um, there is... Uh, thought that her home was attacked and she died possibly because of uh, somebody trying to exact revenge upon her partner who was upstairs at the time <coughs> and who leapt out of the burning building because not only did they shoot the beautiful Lucy dead, they then set fire to the house. And again, if you go onto my social media and scroll back through some of my tweets, you'll find links to the two Crime Watch appeals and you will see the horror of what unfurled that night. Mm. Kevin Powell wanted in connection with Lucy's murder as well. We really need to find him. Now, it would appear from some of the, uh, some of what I'm told, that organised crime, criminals know where he is. Of course, that makes absolute sense. Mm -hmm. I'm probably not going to get the answer to his current location from somebody who is a hard-working Stand up, respectable member of society. I get that. Um, is that because they'll be too worried about their identity being leaked? No, because they, they won't know the information. Mix, they won't have mix. the information. They're too busy going to work, caring for their loved ones, mm -hmm. and being a straight runner. Right. Many courageous people have come forward and spoke to me since I've begun my hunt for Kevin Powell. I still need more, and I can be contacted in a number of ways. My email address is out there, my social media. There's a telephone number that I've got a phone specifically for information with regards to Kevin Powell and his crimes. Mm -hmm. And if I may, I'd like to just give that telephone number of out. Of course. Mm -hmm. It is 07908 there we go. And this There's, is obviously quite, a, quite a, well, a very, very serious matter. So um, some people on, online and, and have the tendency to, uh, to use mobile numbers and contact details for, for their own kind of like pranks and stuff like that. This is not the case for this because we're talking about uh, Liam Kelly and Lucy Hargreaves who, who were, were potentially shot and killed by this man. So if you could take that number and use it um, with the greatest of respects, that would be, uh, that would be respected from us. Jack, um, I've got broad shoulders. Yeah. Okay. You know, as part of the trolling and the nonsense mm. and all that kind of kind of stuff yeah if, if people want to be fools and mm -hmm. send to tripe and nonsense mm. yeah so be it it's yeah. water off a duck's back but thank you very much indeed for that no worries mm. um 
how how's your day to day now? Because you're obviously dedicating a hell of a lot of time to to this case. Indeed. Um, and and of course, I wouldn't ask you to give any details that could could kind of jeopardise your your hard work. But what kind of stuff do you do? Try you can keep it as vague as you like in order to try and find this man who has eluded capture for for such a long period of time. Well, essentially, I'm a bit of an old school shoe leather detective, as I call it. Yeah. I go out and I knock on doors and I have literally delivered hundreds upon hundreds of these through people's letterboxes. I've been very fortunate in so much as that I've got a bit of a public profile. So I've had lots of airtime and column inches, mm-hmm. both locally and nationally, with regards to my hunt for Kevin Parr. Mm-hmm. And that encourages people to come forward and talk to me because they hear me on the radio or they see me on telly and some people go, you know, he's all right. I think I can talk to him because... Mm. I'm not a cop. Mm. I haven't been a cop for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and people understand that and appreciate it. Mm. And of course, I don't talk about people proceeding in a westerly direction, mm. um, which kind of helps, you know, because yeah. people think, oh, actually, he talks like I do. So yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. pick the phone up. Yeah. And mm. I'll give him a ring. So, yes, it's a media strategy, a social media strategy, and old school pound in the beat kind of stuff. Do you, yeah. do you have a team? No, it's me. Really? But I have a podcast producer, of course, now. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. producing the podcast. But no, it's me. Wow. There you go. I'll take my hat off to you. Um, Pete, I think we've just about covered covered everything, unless you guys have got any last-minute questions. That was amazing. I, th- it, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it was one of those ones where we just sit back and let the guests talk yeah. because it's so interesting to us. Um, you're welcome on again whenever you like. Um, your story's bloody brilliant. One question I haven't asked you, which we ask all of our guests. Oh, well. It's, um, <laughs> it's going to take a turn here, a little bit different. Yeah, it's a bit hard going from, from a potential murderer to this. But Where what? do I bury Fiona? <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to meal deal? We ask everyone this. Okay. First of all, what is what supermarket are you going to? Anyone that's close to the tube station that I'm about to get on, or the right. railway station that I'm about to get on, or, yeah. or yeah. all of that. I don't. Okay. My life is not that structured. <laughs> that I can actually plot <laughs> yeah. and plan what supermarket I go to. Yeah. yeah. So it might be a corner shop for a meal deal. Oh, never get okay. never get a sandwich know, from a corner shop. I know. I know. You know. You open it up. There's very little inside and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I have made those mistakes. And they're <laughs> twice the price. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. You Plus, know, they were made in like 1984. Yeah. <laughs> Needs must. I've eaten some ghastly sandwiches over here. <laughs> yeah, right. um, so be it. Meal deal, Will. And this is where I'm going to sound like some kind of rampant poshy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But if I'm at a train station and it's got one of the more kind of high end right. supermarket yeah. outlets there, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. yeah. I will go for a prawn mayonnaise sandwich. Oh, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's just something I like. Right. Yeah. Okay? yeah. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Roy Keane, the former footballer. Of course. Oh, well, yeah. 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 Spoke so disparagingly about prawn sandwich yeah. and all that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, prawn and mayo sandwich. Yeah. Cheese and onion crisps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout walkers. Ooh, you going day. walkers, are you? All day. 
McCoy's. McCoy's. Oh. Beer Ridge. A man after yeah, yeah. my own heart. Yeah. 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 McCoy's. Lovely. Do you like the salt and vinegar ones? Oh, what have I just said? I, I did a Walker's advertising campaign this summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You're allowed to like both. Yeah. You, yeah, sometimes you get Walker's, sometimes you get McCoy's. <laughs> yeah. I'll all... never work again. <laughs> somebody get a bag of McCoy's. Tell me they're made by Walker's, please. Uh, they're a Walker's probably. Product. I like yeah. that we've we spoken right. about heroin, murder. Yeah. There is, and the one thing that's <laughs> going to fuck you up is the fact that your choice of crisp. We're not we're, we're not linked to Walkers. I think the most we've had yeah. is Gary Lineker shared our podcast when it first came out, didn't he? No, well, I, he I, did a little thumbs up for us. Didn't oh he? yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. I did. A, I did a day's work with Gary Lineker and online videos and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> he won't be listening. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> uh, he wouldn't have got this far in. No. <laughs> so we've got a drink. <laughs> oh, I'm that much of a drink. Right, on. Uh, Actually, I've got a train to catch. Still, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> and your drink to drink. finish. Okay. Now I know the horse has bolted on this one, but it'll be Diet Coke. Right, no, that's okay. No. That's it's okay. the flavour. It's the flavour. Yeah. Exactly. See, <laughs> when it's I, the I, I always go for Diet Coke and McDonald's, and, and anytime I'm getting a Coke, I get a Diet Coke. I'm like, oh, what? Because of the sugar. It's like, no, it's actually because I think yeah. it tastes better. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I don't mind it too yeah. much. 100%. It's all right. It it's all right. Uh, are we going to rate that meal deal? I rate it. I don't like prawn. But I don't the like crisp, prawn. The crisp in the drink, I rate highly. Snack in the drink, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. I'd give it a five. Mm. But I, I, would, I wouldn't yeah. eat the sandwich. That's, don't five. listen to me. <laughs> the prawn, the prawn let me down. Yeah. Seafood, I, I, I don't trust the fact that there's seafood in a packaging that's, that's there, ready to go. It could have been there hours. Dear listener, enjoy this podcast because it might be the last that Jack may ever make. <laughs> I couldn't possibly condone violence in any way, shape or form, but I've come here in my own time and at my own expense to get five out of ten. I am not happy. I would, if there's any consolation, I would rate your podcast ten out of ten, but the meal deal choice is a bit fruity for me. It's like you begging for your life now. <laughs> uh, dear listener, I have my foot on his throat. Uh, dear listener, it's Jackie's birthday. Uh, remember the cut. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Pete, it's been an absolute Very pleasure. Good. Thanks for coming on. Um, remember, guys, it's at Peter Blexley at, on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, do you want to plug any of your books? You've got a few, few, few books. Thank you. They're out there. Three books. Uh, the Gangbuster on the run and to catch a killer I'm certainly going to grab some after this I was and thinking the same yeah so uh, cheers guys cheers for listening and Pete thank you very much my pleasure Oh, amazing. That was, that was fun, wasn't it, yeah. fellas? Love Thank that. you. Yeah. Good hour and a half Thank as well. It's yeah. longest one we've done fantastic. for a while. Thank you very much. You were oh. great fun. All of you. This was a Stakhanov production.